You're listening to Future Theater Radio with Bill and Nancy Burns right here on the Dark Matter Radio Network and PSN Radio. Hi, everybody. We are your co-hosts, Bill, that's me, and Nancy. Mm Mm-hmm. Burns, and we are broadcasting on Future Theater Live on the 1st of August, 2016. So late July is over, late summer has begun. And I found Rudbeckia in my yard, my very favorite flower on the planet, and I was just walking along and boom, it was there. I took some pictures. Rudbeckia, black-eyed Susie's. There you go. And so we are broadcasting on Future Theater Live from the banks of the swollen Primrose Creek because of all the rain on PSN Radio and the Dark Matter Digital Network. Monday nights we're here on PSN Radio and we are replayed on Tuesday nights on the Dark Matter Digital Network. Our producer is the venerable Jackal. Say hello, Jackal. Hello, Jackal, and I'm enjoying the dog days of August, starting today. And what are the? And you're right there in Miami, Florida, correct? That is correct. Yep, Miami, home of the Zika virus. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, I'm so scared of that thing. Let me tell you. I, well, okay, so what are you doing? You don't have babies. Do, do, no, no, no. Do, you don't want to get it anyway if it's that bad. No, uh, no. Do Do you know that you have to go outside and be religious about any little containers of water that might have collected? Oh yeah. Do you know about that? Yep. Yeah, 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 you do. Yeah, I saw that for myself. I was very lax about it. Didn't think much about it. And well, luckily I, for me, uh, Nancy, I don't drink uh, water that comes from the rain anymore outside. You know, I just stop drinking yeah. water. No, no, no. Year. But you'd be surprised. You know, you'll have things outside. You know, like a candle or something, or you know, this or that, and it'll be it'll fill up with water in the rain, and you'll not even notice it. But sure enough, that's where mosquito lay their eggs. And I, yep, when I yep. went to dump out a flower pot that was just old and filled with water. I saw the mosquito babies uh, yep. a couple of year, years ago, and that made it a point. So I, I point this out. Yeah. Scary, isn't it? <clears throat> so, yeah, shout out to Alien Dreams. Alien Dreams, Serenity, Dan. Mm-hmm. Shout yeah. out. Shout out to Sanja in the chat room. Sanja, yeah. And shout yep. out just in general to the chat, chat room because what a good chat room. Sometimes the chat room, if you decide, I don't know how people who are – I don't know how they can find it. it. It's on Skype, so you have to have this, the free Skype service. And then you have to, then Angel, if you go to psn-radio.com, you will find a path to the Skype. And you just can, do, do you have to get invited into this chat? No, actually, if you just click on the link, it'll take you there, and it'll give you a guest account if you don't have, like, a regular okay. Skype account. So you could have, you could be a guest with a guest, you know, username. Which okay. is kind of cool. You don't actually have to download the Skype software or anything like that. So it, it actually is pretty cool. And, you know, we've put back the regular chat that we had before on there, and yeah. nobody's there. Everybody's here. We usually uh-huh. have, like, 50, 60 people here, three people there. Yeah. So, I mean, but, yeah, that kind of tells you where everybody's much, gravitated yeah. to. Yeah, so. this is much more flexible. Um, you can leave the chat if you feel it's just too busy, or you can just ignore it or turn off your Skype. Anyway, um, during the chat, we can also put there for our listeners live images and URLs and mosquito babies and whatever we want to put. We can put right there. Anyway, right, um, right, right. 
Yeah, I wanted to give that public service. If anybody is just naive and doesn't realize that little tiny basins of water create mosquito breeding places. And then, of course, <clears throat> I guess otherwise, um, if you stay inside all the time, you could be safe because you always yeah. hear mosquitoes inside. You know what I'm saying? When you're outside, you can't hear them. But when you're inside, you really hear them, right? Yeah, and usually if you stay in a cold enough area, like I work in a really cold area during my, my day job, so there's rarely any mosquitoes inside the building. I mean, it's very, very rare. Because of air conditioning, so, right? Yeah, yeah. It's usually like 60 degrees in there, so it's yeah. freezing. Yeah, cool. Okay, so Zika, Zika is here. For Miami, 60 degrees is tundra. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and might Arctic I mention... As an Arctic freeze is what that is. <laughs> might I mention degrees, that our guest whoa. tonight is Chase... Klotsky. Ooh, yeah, Klotsky. I don't think anybody in our audience at this late date wouldn't doesn't know who Chase is. It's we've never had her on before. Um, I'm glad we're fixing that. But she's for as long as she's been around, she has been quite influential in the UFO field. Mm -hmm. And you and guys had her on your show, which she's is what been, yeah, she's been on our show, and she is awesome, <laughs> awesome interview. She's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're gonna go. We're gonna go back to. Like the first time I heard Chase, and I want to find out, you know, what has changed since then. But I remember hearing Chase when she was very gung ho about reforming MUFON, and I want to know how that went because I think it went kind of pretty well. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it's funny because we we had um, another MUFON person on. We're going to have Morgan Beal on pretty soon. And every time I talk to somebody from MUFON on Skywatchers, I get the uh, the same sentiment that they're trying to either reform MUFON or they're trying to kind of uh, give it a different light and the way people see MUFON because a lot of folks see MUFON as this organization that doesn't uh, take it take it seriously enough or take the, the field serious enough in a sense where they believe everything is real UFOs, when when you really talk to these people, they're really bigger debunkers than I am for the most oh, part. Oh, they are. These folks. That's the whole point of being in, in MUFON. Yeah, Partly I mean, they, the reason, they don't just believe I mean, anybody. No, no, no. A real serious UFO investigators are more skeptical than the debunkers because the debunkers start from... The debunkers start from the default position that there's no such thing as UFOs, certainly no such thing as aliens. They don't exist. That's right. the debunker default right. position. Well, you have to be. If you're going to be a, a, a longstanding organization, you have to take that position until somebody brings in a no, hunk No, no, no. Uh, MUFON takes a different position. MUFON doesn't say that there's no such thing as UFOs, obviously, or no such thing as extraterrestrials. What MUFON says is that 95% of all the UFO reports are either mistaken identities, somebody doesn't know what she or she is talking about, right. um, that, they're, that it's really conventional lights and people, you know, they just are odd in the way they well, let's see ask, them. Let's definitely ask Chase about that because... I, I believe she's going to have facts and figures at her command. Well, well, she will. Mm -hmm. And, and I mean, one of the things that, see, I always, one of the cases, one of the cases for me that was kind of sitting on a, on the edge one way or the other was the, uh, was the Thomas Mantell case from the 1950s. Which is, oh, which is, they, he's a farmer, I think. It's the Mantell case mm -hmm. in which, there is this huge object 
There was a large object hanging over an airfield, and Mantell takes his plane up to get to the object oh, to get right, a closer right, right. look, and the plane crashes. Right. And wow. so the standard debunker argument is, well, it was a balloon, and it was a, they didn't know what it was, it was a balloon, and Mantell tried to get to the balloon, and he crashed, and there's no UFO at all. Mm. But we spoke to a, a, a witness who was there. Her husband was the traffic controller, the air traffic controller in that tower, in that field. I think this was in Kentucky. This was in that field, uh, that airfield. And he called his wife to the airfield. Where he said, you've got to see this. You'll never see something like this again in the rest of your life. And I, and I spoke to this woman. And what did she say? And she said, this was no balloon, that mm -hmm. she has worked that airfield. Her husband has worked that airfield. And who said it was a balloon? Oh, a lot of debunkers have said no, that. No, no. Well, um, what a lot of people said was that he kind of tried to go straight up almost. And when he crashed, his watch was kind of something was weird about his watch. Yeah, that was. Uh, I mean, Kevin Randall has. Okay. We have to have Kevin back on. Yeah. Well, you know, um, we drift from our UFO roots, I think, just like everybody else drifts right now. I think every show drifts a bit because this UFO thing is changing. A lot. And it's changing because of people like Chase, who she's heavily connected with uh, Richard Dolan. Uh, Richard Dolan has a publishing company now, and together they've done some books. And so people who are that we've known forever in the field are, I think, maintaining um, the center of the field. But I do think that the, the whole entire periphery, not the center, but the whole entire periphery, is composed of people walking around with their phones slash cameras. And yeah, but here's, here's the thing. something gets seen, it gets filmed. Yeah, but phone cameras are not really that good when it comes to, like, recording these kind of objects in the sky. Unless you have something, like, yeah. 10 feet away from you or 20 exactly. feet away from you. If exactly. it's something far away, you're just going to get a little dot maybe. Or Absolutely, maybe but how many? You know, it's not heard, really that good. We've heard so many uh, reports um, with our own Chris Brown, okay? Right on up to, I can tell you, so many reports in which the people say, my God, I could have thrown a rock at it. And, and somebody's going to get a picture of this kind of close-up. I know it. Um, if, if there are such things as abductions, somebody will get a picture. Um, in Chase's, uh, on Chase's webpage, which is linked up at futuretheater.com, um, there's Futuretheater.com. a... com. <laughs> um, I love that voiceover I did. Might as well <clears throat> yeah, we back on do, that one. yeah, we have to do... You know, we're not doing outreach. And, of course, I think it's the summer doldrums, and we aren't doing any outreach. And Chase is a bundle of energy. And by the time Chase is finished with us tonight, I'm going to have a list of things to do I'm going to want to get to because I, I, yep. she, gets, she gets me very fired up. She's very organized, and she gets stuff done. And I really like that. And so, uh, Na yeah. Bill, Nancy, you know what the, the end of this month is, right? You know what's coming up? My daughter's besides birthday. My daughter's birthday. Well, besides her birthday, and that's a Eve very Rose. special moment. Oh, yes, it's, it's yeah. all the meteor showers. Oh, the well, Perseids. Be, besides that, also, yes, th those are yeah. two very important events. But no, hmm. something else, maybe not as important, but still important in, in our field. Uh, the symposium in Orlando with Mufon happens uh, oh. the twenty fourth of this month, oh. and uh, I was invited to go. We're going to have a, a presence there. We're going to have a table for uh, PSN Radio and Sky Watchers. Okay. And, well, there you go. And, uh, you know, I, I'm looking forward to meeting a lot of the folks that I've talked to. You know, I don't know if, if uh, Chase is going to be out there. If she is, I'd love to meet her. I know Rich Hoffman's going to be there who we interviewed. Okay, a end of, weeks of ago. August, you say? 
Yeah, it's uh, the uh, last week of this month. Okay, good. Yep. You're going to represent for all of us. Oh, I'm going to re- go all there, all out. Yeah. And you know what else happens at the end of this month? What's that? The Juno spacecraft does its first close orbits of Jupiter. Right now, it's, it's, it's really uh-huh. long elliptical orbit. Uh-huh. Um, it's very exciting uh, because now it is heading back to Jupiter. It's, it, it's, real, it's at the apogee of its orbit now, and it's heading back to Jupiter, and it should arrive basically in just over the uh, um, atmosphere, the Jovian atmosphere, at um, around August 27th, August 28th, and it's really exciting. So Jovian is the, the way you say the Jupiter um, uh, modifier? Yeah. Jovian, as in jovial. That's where it comes from. Yeah, from Jupiter. Right. Okay. By Jove. This man knows everything, Nancy. Everything. I know. I know. It's fun to wake him up in the middle of his sleep and say. <laughs> Just speak. Give us knowledge, Bill Burns. Actually, anyway, that's what happens at the end of this month, and it's exciting. Yeah. That's cool, though, yeah. NASA said it's going to be um, releasing the first ever close-up pictures of Jupiter, so I'm really excited about oh, that. Oh, that's going to be cool, I yeah. Joke. So no more CGI renderings of Jupiter. We're going to actually get an image. No more artist conceptions. Right, which has always been my gripe with NASA and everything they've ever put out. Well, I, it's funny, because the thing with NASA is that look at all the work they did on airbrushing the moon pictures. Mm-hmm, hmm I mean, we're standing there with, uh, with Donna Hare, and she's saying that she's talking... This was in the age before uh, digital photographs. Right. And, or they're kind of semi-digital, because they really are radio-transmitted. And um, she said that she's looking at this print coming out of the printer, and, and, and it, 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 it's, it's... She said there's a a black triangle on on the lunar surface. And so she's pointing to it. And so the um, photo processing guy, this is at NASA, the photo processing guy is taking an airbrush and brushing it out. And she says, what are you doing that for? And he says, oh, we don't want people to see these. Those are not the, just on the moon you were looking for. Right. Basically it, did a Jedi mind trick on her, basically. That's right. <laughs> We don't let these out. And, and yet, it was NASA that did the report on 500 years of lunar anomalies. Hmm. And the stuff in their report that folks could get, by the way, go, go to the Internet, do a search for this. It's the NASA 500 years of lunar anomaly. I think it's the R77 or something is the name of this report. Go <clears throat> get the report for yourself because the fascinating thing is the report itself reads like science fiction doesn't read like science. It reads like science right. fiction. Why? Why? Because they're talking about bridges on the moon, so-and-so structures on the moon. This is a New York Post report, not a New York Post, New York Journal American reporter or a Herald Tribune reporter back in the 30s. He sees bridges. Then the next day, the bridges are gone. Then he sees something else. And he's seeing structures being built on the moon. Well, see, I also think when, when I was talking about the the uh, satellite of people around this core media of um, in the UFO world, um, I really think that now that people, ordinary people, have as much chance to make a difference media-wise as the New York Times, the New York Post, Gawker, etc., somebody with a cell phone and or a blog or a YouTube channel can um, absolutely 
enter the media with as much power as, uh, you know, anybody who's got a microphone. Yeah, not now, everybody uh, can be TMZ, but pretty much anybody can do what they do with the way yeah, media yeah. And, and if you find, and, and we all have, we all walk out of our house every day with the idea that if we happen to be at the right place at the right time or the wrong place at the wrong time and we need to document it, we would do it. We would take out a phone and start filming. Most people will now. See, that's the funny yeah. part about this. And, and here's what I was going with this whole, whole thing. So now let's say you found something and, and it became nationwide and your little nugget of information goes out there. Just like a drop of ink in a bowl, you'll start to see the way that the waves go by the way the different medias bury a story, uh, pick up a story and keep beating it and, and then changing it like like the gossip game. And you'll learn a lot about the media, which is not a a single thing anymore. It's not a single big five and that's it. It is whoever has the story um, has the story for the moment, you know. The cons, the wrath of, we've got the wrath of con right now. Okay. Right. And, um, yep. how could it not be with a name like con? The minute I, hmm. okay, now I have a, I, I thought of this when I was watching all that. This will offend both sides equally, but I must get it out. Uh oh, before you get it out, before you get out, there's a phone you know. call. There's a phone call. 281, you're live on feature theater. That means I should never say it, right? What? Maybe. That means I shouldn't say it. Yeah. That's right. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you privately. Hi, caller. I'll caller privately. Okay. Hey, caller. Hello. Person Hello. Is it Lou? I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's Lou. Two eight one. You're live on the Future Theater. Hello. All right. Well, Nancy, I think the, I think the caller wants you to see it. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. Okay. I, I look. This thought just fl- flicked through my mind when it was all Nancy's happening. Nancy's very easy to goad into saying something she shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> this is funny. I'm. I know this. that, Bill. I know. I, I do it to get a laugh, but but black souls matter. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> I think it's funny in a way. Don't you think it's funny in a way? No. It's cute in a way. Black souls matter? No. <sighs> no. I think, it's got, I think it's got moment on both sides. It just makes you stop and think. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Actually, so, technically, technically, no lives matter because the universe doesn't care about us. We respect, yeah. respect well, in the entire cosmos and the entirety of the universe. We're yeah, but I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a magical thinker, and I believe that my thoughts matter. So I'm going to stick with that yeah, because it's because it, it can be it can actually uh, uh, play out. We'll have guests on who talk about the power or using coincidences as a tool. But if you were to, for example, ask for uh, a sign or a message. And you will get it, but it, the message will teach you how to look on different levels than you ever thought. You're, you're, the message will come through in a way that you didn't expect. Uh, and I'll so you'll, you learn, you'll learn to be more sensitive. And I do think we're all building a tapestry here. I do think that with our thoughts. We're building the world we want. Well, what are thoughts? What are thoughts? What are thoughts? What are thoughts? Thoughts, I think, are those little blue men in that great old TV show um, where the future the were all The blue men group? Well, no, they, they, this these is were before the blue men. This is where the blue okay. men got no, their no, idea, no. They, actually. Uh, gotcha. um, it was one of the Twilight Zone type things uh, or Outer Limits in which a guy went around the wrong corner. He, he, he changed his ordinary path. He didn't take the path he normally took, and he went around the wrong corner. And he saw the future being constructed, but not where it was needed yet. Like, in other words, he came upon, he actually saw it. He saw, 
um, they the, the future is only a little bit ahead of us, and it's only what we need. And I think this is absolutely accurate. In other words, Bill and I need the room we're sitting in, and this is the premise of the show also, but we don't really need the kitchen because we're upstairs right now. And so in this case, the guys who sit in future kitchen aren't building anything or doing anything because it doesn't exist. It's not needed. Okay. You see, your thoughts, like you only need the room you're sitting in, really. And and yet your thoughts can expand. Right now I can say Mars, and everybody can put their brains on Mars. And it's... Only if, there's a, only if there's a jump room to Mars. No, not for your brain. Like Andrew Bisaggio would say. You're going you're gonna to go after him. <laughs> Poor man. I want to so badly. Ah. Well, Bill interviewed him. When, when uh, somewhere in our um, guest list, you'll see Bisaggio on there. Uh, if you go to Future Theater and look at guest list, I think it's called. Oh, I, I, I know. I've been um, on there. And I, I, we've, I've had him on shows before that I've been, you know, produced or been We on. should all listen and see what Bill asked him. What could he possibly, what could they possibly, because this, I wasn't on the show. I would have, I would have gotten into this stuff. Did you get into future stuff with, with him? Do you remember? Mm, no. Uh, I forget the interview. This was. Yeah. A while ago. Yeah. It was desperation. Oh, it was four years ago. I mean, I was excited when the whole news broke about the jump room to Mars. We have a colony on Mars. I was really into like the whole thing, and I researched um, Lauren uh, Eisenhower. Laura Eisenhower. Yeah, Laura. And, yeah, and I reached out to her. And actually, we were the second show she was ever on. What on, is her? Uh, what is her? Radio. What is her thing? She uh, claims she's the granddaughter of uh, President Eisenhower. That's true, right? Right. Well, we don't know. There's no. Proof. I think it's true. But, but, but what's her what's her UFO thing? What what is what is well, she? Well, she she supports um, what Andrew is saying about the jump room to Mars. She claims that she was approached by somebody on Facebook, of all things, uh, to uh, be recruited into the program to join the colony on Mars, and they were trying to abduct her to take her to Mars. And she went to Mars a couple times, came back, mm-hmm. had a vacation there, came back, to, you know, and now she's on radio talking about it. Wasn't Sounds she also? Nice, yeah, but wasn't but, she also part of the whole MK Ultra stuff? I don't, I don't remember her Mind control that. and she was all bent or something before. Well, here's, here's the thing, Nancy. You have to have a mind to be able to control it. And <laughs> after interviewing this woman, I, uh-huh. I think she's, you know, not playing with a full deck. Uh-huh. You know, I, and I, I have a pretty good BS meter for people and my meter went off the, off the charts when uh-huh. we had her on the air. And it was, it was sad because I really thought that this could be something really tangible. <laughs> and unfortunately it wasn't, but we have another caller on the air. Oh, look at that. Hi, caller. 469, you're live on Future Theater. Hey, this is Prater F. Disc. All right. Welcome. Ah, oh, Prater. Hey. hey. Um, last time I spoke with, with Angel, I was calling into Skywatchers. Um, I had said that I was working at pizza delivery thing. Yep. And uh, doing something else, you know, on my own. Well, I've dropped <laughs> the pizza thing. I'm not even looking back. It's awesome. But I wanted to give give a call out, give a call and give you all a shout out. Um Hi, Nancy. Never actually spoken with you before. Indeed. I've seen you on, um, I've seen you on the Twitters, I believe. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But I wanted to call since I'm actually able to tonight. Well, are you, um, are you a fan? Are you, are you familiar with Chase Klotsky? No. Ah. No, I'm not. Ah. Oh, you're going to love tonight's show, bro. You're going to love it. Yeah. She, she's Indeed. great. Awesome. Actually, Good. you know what? I think I did hear her on Skywatchers once. Yep, she was on there, and um, okay. yeah, she's uh, she was also on Notes from the Underground. She was on there as well with uh, 
Deborah Jane East, shout outs to her. She's going to a little health uh, issue right now, so uh, shout oh, outs to her. Prayers, to her. prayers. Yeah. And Deborah's going to be on the show in a few weeks, maybe a month. Mm-hmm. Who's this? Yep. Deborah Jane East. Yep, uh, yep, yep. yep. Yeah. Great lady. Well, 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 great. Frauder, do you have a question? Well, no, I just want to give y'all a shout out. Um, Angel had offered me a plug um, a few weeks ago when I called, and is that still valid, Angel? Well, that was on Skywatchers. You want to give a plug here? up to Nancy and Bill. Bill and Nancy? Plug away. Plug away. You can um, find my products if you go to Twitter and search for at dragon underscore harvest. Okay, make, what, uh, product. What, what, kind of, what kind of products are we talking here? I make products for business professionals, um, nameplates with card holders, um, business card wallets, um, and well, several yeah. engravables. Cool. Have you ever t- um, talked to Alan from Skywatchers about your products and the fact that no. he... No. No, I see that. You guys might be product people who could do product Yeah, discussion. Alan does conventions and trade shows, man. If you want to get your products out there, that's the guy to talk to. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. He is. Tune in tomorrow. Right. We, have a, we have a hell of a show tomorrow on Skywatchers. We have Jacob Israel is going to be on. Uh, oh, my, new, my new favorite YouTuber in the world. Uh, awesome dude. You guys are going to love listening to Jacob Israel, so tune in tomorrow. It's going to be an awesome, awesome episode. And call in if you want to plug your product on there also, buddy. Oh, awesome. You're on Tuesdays now? Tuesdays at 11 p.m. Eastern. Yep. Oh, okay. I'll All right. So. And now that the hey, conventions so are... Yeah, the, thank you. Good night. Goodbye. And mm-hmm. have a happy time. But now that yeah. the conventions are over, I will, I, w- I will all this week catch up on the radio I missed because you can go to your archives and... Um, uh, PS- well, P- you, you go to PSN on SoundCloud and you'll see all the shows. Yep. You can go do it that way and they're all there and you can find all the different shows on archive. And I'm just kind of, you know, filling in. I'm, I missed everything last week. I was mesmerized. It's, it's a rare thing when you can sit in front of your TV, um, for like eight hours straight in your jammies with your little fuzzy slippers and not feel guilty because you figure, okay, I'm being a citizen. This is what citizens do. And, you know, you got your little French fries and whatever you're eating. And so when Bill is actually reading his uh, iPhone, so burritos and taco Bell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the problem. That's the problem. And when that's they, a problem. That's a problem with my waistline. Too much Taco Bell. Jesus. Well, are you uh, now that you're getting better? Or is your appetite returning? Oh yeah. How's your flu? Uh, well, it's not really a flu. It's uh, the bronchitis. Uh, I mean, I I don't I don't have flu symptoms. I don't have a fever or anything like that. But my uh, bronchitis is still pretty bad. I still cough regularly. So. Yeah. Yep, Luckily I, for me, I have a good mute button. Yes, and I and <laughs> yeah, and I can tell you, it, I I can hear from the sounds of your cough. It's the same exact. Um, yeah, and by the way, uh, uh, okay, I'm I'm reading as I go because I want to make sure that I I um, say hi to Chase from Serenity. Okay, I will. I'm making sure of that. Awesome. And if I forget, Angel will remind me. I think yes, I think they're old pals. By the way, have you started reading the book, uh, Soraya's book? Oh, I love Soraya's book. I already read it. Why? Oh, you read it? Okay, cool. I just yeah. started it. Oh, my goodness. It's very it, – yeah. Um, she sent it to me, I want to say, oh, f- a while ago. And I, I refuse to read book two until she's finished because, you know, I like I like to know where I'm going here. I want to feel like I have an ending instead of having to wait. So, yeah. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, it, it, I highly recommend it. And with the caveat that I'm not a vampire – 
<laughs> aficionado. I'm just not. I don't read all the vampire stuff. Uh, but I think I th- I don't think you have to be. I think it's a fun. It's just a fun kind of a mystery book with a lot of sex. <laughs> a lot of sex. A lot of sex. Uh huh. By the way, I wanted to uh, give out a uh, a negative shout out this week to the <laughs> douchebag of the week, <laughs> and this goes to uh, Mr. Jeffrey Pritchard or Pritchett. Oh. Oh, from okay. uh, May- May- uh, Mabius Radio, Mobius, Mabius, whatever. You're making, you're making an enemy. Uh, no, of he a made, guy he, who really he, come after you. Oh, I hope he does physically. Mm-mm. I hope he does. People, Nancy. a lot of people don't um, like to cross I'm, him. I'm not afraid of him. Okay, well, what, what you should be afraid of me. Ah, so you guys got into a See, here's, here, here's the thing, look, uh, and this is pretty funny. I actually posted this on my Facebook wall because I lost a couple of, of friends because of my political belief on, you know, I'm voting for Donald Trump. You know, I'm supporting Trump. And it, look, it, it's really silly when somebody defriends you and, and, tr- and starts trashing you on Facebook uh, because of who you're supporting as a candidate. I have friends like Dennis Reyna, who's a good buddy of mine. who uh, mm, does the He cartoons. does the cartoons. Yeah, he's an awesome dude. He's yeah. supporting Hillary Clinton. I respect that. I have no problems with him. I'm, supporting, I'm Hillary supporting Hillary Clinton. Right, and I, and I have no issues with that. And we debate back and forth. We you know joke around back and forth. We could fill That's great. any kind of dead space now on any show with political now. Right. Yeah. But this idiot, who, by the way, I've been kind of friendly with for a while and I've always been nice to, uh, went out of his way to trash me on Facebook because I'm supporting Donald Trump. And really? he went and, and he was posting some stuff which were not true. And uh, I kind of corrected him on some of the stuff that he was posting. And he said, what are you, why are you supporting Donald Trump? He wants to send all your people out of this country. He wants to ban you and, and throw you out of the country. And I'm like, first of all, I'm not Mexican. Second of all, he does, he's not trying to get the Mexicans out of here. He's talking about the illegals, which I support that because the illegal issue is a problem in this country. And it needs to be taken care of. Whether Hillary or Trump wins, that is an issue that is really facing this country. And, and luckily guess what? it's been brought into the narrative. Right. And not only that, and guess what? 20 years ago, Bill Clinton was talking about these same exact thing so why wasn't he called a racist when he said it why now trump is a racist because he's saying it that's a double standard and it's hypocrisy and i called him out on it he trashed me on facebook and defended me well if and i were you he, I he said a, he, he said a whole bunch of things yeah. now i got the boxing gloves on and if he wants to go at it jeffrey we can go at it anytime well I'm he used afraid. to have a radio show um i saw okay he's i've been friends with, with a fellow a great fellow named uh jeremy vaney Okay, and he's Jer- a good guy. Yeah, good guy. I've always like liked Vaney. Jeremy. Yep. I always will like Jeremy. Um, Pritchard and Pritchard and Jeremy were friends at one point, but then something went wrong. I forget what. And yeah, Pritchard, Pritchard became- is—he's uh, crazy. That's yeah. the thing. Well, he, he he wrote something like uh, "non-white voting for Trump." You're a yeah, and I'll say the, the bad word here, but he said you're a moron, idiot, dip, shite, you know, yeah, and many other things. He goes, uh, "I block all Trump supporters." You know why? Because I don't support fascists, and I'm not going to say the next word because it's a very dirty word. Uh, it says, it's not like we are best friends anyway, asshat. Oh, okay. that's nasty. Well, that's fine. We're not best friends, but you know what? Just because I support a candidate is not a reason for you to go out and start calling me a Nazi, which you called me also on here. Really? I'm a Nazi? The, the Nazis, you know, let me tell you something. They hated Cubans. They hated everybody except well, they for only, they their only own liked, people. They only liked, right. you know, they were into sort of like... And, and, and I'm definitely not a Nazi. Are you kidding right. me? That's well, ridiculous. It, it's the idea of dog breeding, sort of. You know, if you start with this pure, pure... I think this guy's been stri- breeding with dogs, for sure. I think he's been doing yeah. something with dogs. And have you heard about the poor, poor... I think... It, which bulldog is it? Oh, the English bulldog. This is very sad. It's he, so sad. Did you hear about this story? 
Yeah, the, the English the, bulldog has been bred to the point where there can't be anymore. Yeah, it doesn't have the genes for survival anymore. Are you re- really? And seriously. Yeah. It oh, that's, is, that's terrible. It is, it's been so overbred that it, 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 it well, doesn't know- have the survival. Its genes pool has shrunk. So it doesn't have the genes to evolve anymore. They've oh, been wow. bred out of the dog. So this is a dog heading for extinction. So, wow. so folks out there, if you have an English bulldog, cherish it. They're, because 100 years, no well, more do you bulldogs. Know, do you know no the more. dog? They're very expensive. Oh, the Sharpays. They're in a similar position because a lot of owners say their dogs can barely breathe, basically. Yeah. 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 There are dogs that have been so <laughs> overbred that you no longer... That and that's why the Nazis I mean, yeah, the whole are point wrong. of evolution. Uh, the whole point of survival of a species is that the species evolves. Right. So right. when you have a fake species, and yep. believe it or not, a pure dogs are show fake dogs species. are yeah. becoming a fake. Well, you know species. where white hair came from, and white, yellow hair, and white skin it came from, because that that group of people uh, were running out of melatonin, or not melatonin, serotonin. You know, serotonin, and they yeah. and they needed less color in their skin to, to and that's why so they were it's a deficiency it's a it's a it's a um it's a uh, result it's a of a deficiency it's a it? mutation it was, it was based mutation. on on it from a deficiency so you know get off your high horse here yeah we had a, we had a caller 407 sorry we didn't get to you in time but uh, it is the bottom of uh, the the first half hour and so. it's time for us to to take our break and come back with chase klatsky on future theater live so um, everybody, stick with us. We have a great guest coming in. Chase ah, amazing Bucky guest. In, wonderful person. Yep. She's coming in. Um, we are your co-host, Bill and Nancy Burns, on Future Theater Radio. Uh, we are broadcasting on PSN Radio and the Dark Matter Digital Network. And we'll be back with Chase after these messages from very friendly people. longer being tied down to your computer but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go TalkStream live introduces our first ever iphone application the talk shows you follow now follow you and your iphone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the internet listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day seven days a week mobile talk radio from TalkStream live now available in the itunes app store have you heard Mac Maloney lately? In your military career, did you ever see anything that came close to an unusual UFO sighting or? No. Holy <laughs> That was the yeah. Yeah. 10 seconds of... Uh, no. What are you that tra- was so convincing. Yeah. What are you trying to say there? Well, UFO is an innocuous term. That's the worst fucking denial I've ever heard. Unidentified flying something. Mac Maloney's Military X-Files, Friday nights at 11 p.m. Eastern on the public streaming radio network. Unidentified flying, flying something. 
put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions, providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology, preventative maintenance and networking support, hardware and custom built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 954-973-3374. That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. The George Rodriguez Show. Who? I said the George Rodriguez Show. You don't know George Rodriguez? Wasn't he the guy that filled in for Neil Rogers? Yes, that George Rodriguez. What's he like? Oh, he's a short little Cuban feller. Kind of funny looking. Well, when's he on? 12 to 3, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on SoFloRadio.com and SoFloRadio.net. The George Rodriguez Show is much more than adequate. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Hi, and we are back on Future Theater Live on PSN Radio and the Dark Matter Digital Network with our guest, the wonderful Chase Klapsky. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being our guest. We really appreciate it. it is- we- Hi, Chase. Hi, Nancy. I was just going to thank you guys for the invitation because it's such an honor. It really, really is. Wow. Um, can I ask you right up? I, I chose a photo for, for the uh, show page of you holding an owl. Yes. What is that? How did you get the chance to do that? That was in Australia. I was there last year um, speaking at a conference, but also reinvestigating the Westall case of 66. And they had this little zoo. And of course, you know, my first time in Australia, I wanted to see the kangaroos and hold Mm. the koala bears and um, the owls. And, you know, the owl just seemed to... For, I don't even know why, but for some reason it, it would follow me, you know, through the trees. And, um, the lady at the park literally said, would you like to, you know, hold him? And so she went and got this leather glove and because mm. it was more of a tamed owl. And she's like, he's quite stricken with you or something. And, <laughs> you know, I just, um, I just held him as, as long as he wanted to stick around with me. It was such a treat. It was really a lot of fun. He was beautiful. So beautiful. Yeah. It was a beautiful owl. Well, I have what, to say. Oh, he, is he full grown? I believe so, yes. So he's a what kind of an owl with a very white face? What is that one called? You know, I think she Snow said White? it was, you know, I think it was. And I don't have a lot of information because this owl wasn't really part of this little petting zoo. Um, it was one that they kind of kept in the back as a rescue. And it wasn't part of the tour, but it, it he seemed to kind of follow us when we were there and... um well, if you ever, if you ever decide to look into witchcraft or shamanism, um, you'll want to think about 
uh, the whole concept of a, a animal, an animal familiar. You know, I, I've been I've been told that, and I have a turtle here at my house. Believe it or not, of course, I live in the Golden Isles, and we're known for the sea turtles. You know, they they come up and lay their eggs and take off, just like you see. I'm finding Nemo, so it's quite the tourist attraction. But but it's in my backyard, and these I have this turtle that you know every year comes in our yard and he buries and he follows me out to my mailbox and. Um, I found him in my garage, and at one time I said, all right, I'm going in now, and I kind of mm. looked, and I thought, you know, here's this little creature. Mm. It, it's a turtle. Like, who, you know, what? a turtle isn't fluffy and loving mm. and want to cuddle, and yet he followed me, and I found that so strange. I thought, you know what? I don't care what I need to do on the inside. I'm going to spend a little time with this guy out here, mm. and that's what I did. I just walked in the backyard, and he was really dry and kind of chalky looking so you know i put him back in the marsh and i i don't know it's, it's how how silly. how big a turtle a teeny teeny one or a bigger uh, he was bigger he he's uh probably just a few years old the sea turtles here uh, you know live to be you know decades and decades and they can be fairly big um but the ones we have paddling up in our yard probably no more than like 12 inches across maybe 16 hmm. at at best Cool. I love turtles. They're cool. Yeah. Yeah. I love turtles. yeah well, now are you? You are. Uh, let's kind of get some background. You are currently. You're currently married to an in-service officer, I believe. Uh, a, you're married to a naval officer. Yes. Yes. He is still currently active duty. Um, he's a submarine commander. So we've been mm-hmm. pretty much everywhere. Oh. <laughs> wow, a military wife. So you've wow. been all over the world. It, pretty much. Yes. Pretty much. And uh, what, what rank does he? What, what rank is that at that point? He's a commander. He's a commander. So that means on any military base, I've, I, I was an army wife for a while, but just of a first lieutenant. And oh my goodness, the power and the, and the glory that is the general's wife. Wow. <laughs> now, I got a question. How do you, I mean, has it been an issue working with MUFON and being married to him at all? Has that ever become an issue? That is a great question because, um, you know, especially after, you know, my personal sighting in 2010, you know, here I am married to, you know, a golden child. He really is very, very good at his job. And, you know, the Navy loves him. And, you know, my oldest son um, is also active duty Navy. And my youngest son is at Paris Island as a DI. You know, he's a Marine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then, you know, here's their mom doing what I do and not one time ever mm. um, have they asked me to be quiet or, um, you know, just, you know, when we're in this group, don't tell them what you do. Never once. My husband is uh, very proud of what I do. He, you know, my books are on his desk and, um, you know, he holds it pretty high. Well, do they believe you when you say you saw something? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you can imagine when you see something that's not supposed to exist. And, you know, as many times as I've called out the Department of the Navy and Department of Defense and, you know, it, you know, for the secret technologies or, you know, just whatever. And, um, you know, they, I stand on truth, you know, or vetted information. And in the UFO field, probably 90% of our cases fall into the we have no physical or trace evidence. Um, so it, re- it falls back to the credibility of your witness. And, you know, you could just imagine. Um, well, tell, 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 us what you, tell us what you saw. 
Well, uh, you know, just real briefly, in 2010, I, I was handed a case uh, through MUFON that started out, you know, those epidemic orange orbs. And, you know, one thing led to another, and I ended up at the witness's home, which is way, way out in a rural area. And, <clears throat> and it wasn't long during this evening that uh, we saw a triangle, a, a humongous triangle, and almost a uh, classic uh, triangle completely fly over our head. Um, it went straight over this big cornfield. It was uh, about a hundred acre cornfield. Uh, the corn was about, I don't know, four or five inches high. So it was pliable. So we weren't going to hurt the crop. So we could go out into the middle of this for a big panoramic view. And, um, <clears throat> I've seen a lot of things that aren't supposed to exist and, um, things I can't explain. But this is the first time I, I've seen something so evidently, um, if it is ours, it's not known ours, <laughs> you know, because I do believe we are, we're looking at ours and theirs. Well, but, what, did, what does your husband say it is? Um, you know, he's very supportive. He really, really is. And Nancy, you'll, you'll understand this completely. Um, my husband will come home from work. And of course, he's a submariner. It's the only real secret still in the military. Mm-hmm. Um you know, thank you, Obama, coming out, ta- uh, bringing out SEAL Team 6. But um, he literally will come home. How was your day, honey? Well, you know, I had a few personnel issues or, you know, I had a meeting with this. Or guess who I saw an old shipmate? Mm. How was your day, honey? Oh, it was great. Talked to a few witnesses. But you see, there's no detail. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's easy for us to, you know, do our thing and stay close and support each other without knowing every every little detail. Yeah, but does he think you saw something that was A, a secret weapon, B, almost ready to be divulged to the public, or C, my God, something from that's from not from here? He looks at me with that deer in the headlight look, and he's <laughs> like, my gosh. Um, he He's never... Um, He's never made an opinion about that. However, he's started going to conferences with me, and I don't know what he thinks I I, I was doing or who I was talking to. But you know, after a few conferences, he's like, "Wow, you know that that guy was he was really credible." And wow, and so he's starting to get sucked in a little bit. Um, he dropped his retirement papers. I'm very very excited about this, uh-huh. and. I know, right? And wow. I want him to join the field because I think there's a real need for military members because veterans will um, open up more to veterans. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's the same thing. A cop Absolutely. Will, yeah. yeah. And I, I thought, you know, it, what a great way to uh, contribute and, and to get into this field and to offer something, to offer something. And, you know, who knows what we'll get if they have someone like that they can trust. Well, has has your husband ever? How how long is the long is the typical time away? Does he go away for weeks, months? He started out in Groton. He was on a fast attack, and the six eighty eight Los Angeles class uh, submarines was where he started. It's at the height of the Cold War. It's back in the late eighties, and um, the fast attacks. Um, the first eight years we were married, he was completely unavailable to his family. Nine and a half months a year. And sometimes he'd be gone six months. Sometimes it'd be two weeks. They're kind of off schedule because the fast attacks are kind of the cat and mouse. They're, they're the, uh, kind of the SWAT team of the mm-hmm. Navy. And, and does that mean no contact, no, no email, no talking? I, and 
I had 40 words a month I could send him, and they call them family grams, and you have 40 little squares that you could write a word in, mm-hmm. and if they were sent, you could mail it to um, the squadron, so it go to squadron eight or something, and um, if mail was going out, and if they didn't have a lot of traffic, they were sending the submarine, they would add as many family grams they could, but there was never a guarantee you, mm-hmm. but I never heard from him, never heard back from him. Unless they had a port call. And That's what they, I was going to ask. Yeah, they were confident yeah. that, yeah. Wow. Wow. So so you have to be tough. Yeah. The boomers are a little easier. Um, he finished his career. The second half of his career were on the um, the boomers, um, you know, the big, the big ballistic submarines. Right. Yeah. And, you know, there's, you know, their schedule's a little more on schedule. So, um, and there's two crews and, you know, all sorts of different things that they do. Um, so it was a little easier because there's a little more planning um, and a little more family friendly. <laughs> Wait, uh, did he ever serve in the Sea Wolf class? Um, he did not serve on the Sea Wolf or even the New Virginia class. Um, what he has, but he he works with them uh, continually because, of course, he's you know on a submarine base and um, you know he was the XO of Swiftland, which is strategic. Um, you know, weapon, weapons of the Atlantic right. fleet. Right. And now, now he's a base XO over mm-hmm. here. Yeah. What's he going to do in retirement? Um, I, his yeah. dream job, Nancy, is mm-hmm. to work in the, in the wood department at Lowe's. He ah. wants no responsibility for a while. Of course, he won't do that. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I think strategically in, in the things that he knows and anyone that meets him will tell you that he is the guy that, that you would want involved with this, you know, the kind of policy of uh, the big weapons, you know, that the, if this country owns. This is the guy you want in charge of these decisions. And yeah, yeah. I think, um, I don't know, I'd like to see him, you know, kind of do something like that on a civilian sector. Um, and yet, you know, the Navy's changed since he started. It, it's so different these days. Oh, my gosh. So I don't know what he he does. I just um, I hope he joins me in the field. I hope he comes yeah, out you yeah. know, like you and Bill. You're a part. You're a team. And that it's so cool. And it, hel- I, it helps a lot because, as you already know, and we were talking during the break and actually uh, before the break, um, people in the UFO field turn on the, you know, uh, Corso was right when he said the government doesn't really worry about the UFO field. It, it kills its own. It's just, Very true. Yep. you know, so if you, if you're husband and wife, you have a good chance that somebody's got your back, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it is tough out here. And, and, um, until you find your tribe and we all need to find our tribe. And well, tell I tell us, yeah, t- tell us how, if you, um, you got involved with move on before you had your sighting. So how did you in fact go from being, uh, an ordinary person to a member of MUFON. I literally just Googled them one day. Um, it was back in 90. I started in the field in 94 and it was 96 when I, I think I got my first computer and it just seemed like MUFON was an, about the only option out there. If you were looking for kind of that team or organization, mm-hmm. um, I had no idea how to start out on my own. Um, so I joined MUFON, but I was with them for 18 years before they even knew who I was. They still probably don't know who I am. Well, do you, uh, or did you start out in Georgia, MUFON? No, I actually started out in Virginia, MUFON. And of course, you know, we moved so often that, you know, I was in Guam and <laughs> Sassapo, mm-hmm. you know, all over the, you know, world, so, so to speak. So there were times when I kept my membership up, but they, I, they, 
they couldn't even send me the journal, but I always made sure that I was a paid member. Um, it was when I moved back to the States and retired my job with the DOD that I ended up, um, you know, with them kind of full time. And it was in the state of Tennessee where I started really, you know, devoting a lot of time and doing a lot of investigations. And that was um, what year? Um, that would have been, to, oh my gosh, I'm getting so old. Um, I have to think 2008 is when I started full time. Okay. Because I remember hearing, you gave a, um, somebody somebody interviewed you. You've given a lot of interviews, but this particular one was, uh, you talked about when you started, you basically became a member of or started the STAR team, I believe, right? Yes. After Bigelow, um, you know, that whole debacle. And, right, right. You know, yeah, and let's go, thing. yeah, let's tell people what that is because that's important to the story. Well, uh, you know, Robert Bigelow is, uh, he owns a big aerospace company and is very, very interested in the paranormal and UFOs and partnered with MUFON to get more information. And unfortunately, um, you know, I don't really know all the details. At that time, I'm an FI. I, Nancy, I wasn't even, I didn't even qualify for the star team. So I wasn't even a star team investigator during okay. that time. Yeah. And, you know, that whole thing blew up and it was ugly and, um, you know, Buffon wanted him gone and, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. And I'm, yeah. And, and so what I wondered was, were you there before? Um, he, in other words, there was a different Buffon before Bigelow. And then I guess it's, it's different again after. And I found it. I found it almost the same, um, even a little bit after Bigelow. I think it was after um, you know the whole big. All the women were being fired, and you know the whole you know um, reign of uh, Marie Malzahn. I, I honestly believe that once that was over, um, Mufon absolutely started transitioning into an, a, a modern organization. Okay, and 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 the star team did it survive the whole Bigelow thing? Well, it did for a while, and um, that's where I came in. And I love this story, Nancy, because you know, as much as you and I don't identify ourselves as female ufologists, as much as we just work, um, just an investigator, and you know, I. I MUFON sent out to everybody in MUFON, all the membership, you know, they're looking for a star team manager and anyone interested in the position uh, to write a one-page resume and send it to them. Mm -hmm. So I did that, thinking I didn't have a chance in Hades of getting that job. I'm an FI. I've been all over the place. But I told them what I could do and and what my specialties were. And that, of course, was team building and program design. It was a few months later, and uh, it was Chuck Reaver, the uh, director of investigations at the time, and he called me, and he, he it was a Sunday morning. He asked for Chase Kletsky, and I get on the phone, and he kind of stumbled for a moment. He goes, please pardon. Um, I'm a little taken aback. I didn't realize you were a female. Uh -huh. and, he, and he said, and that is even, he said, that is even better. This is the best news. He, They were so pleased. Mm. But I loved it because for the first time I personally saw, um, you know, someone in MUFON got a job and they had no, it was solely based on what you could do. Right, right. And were you able to keep your job once they found out that you were, in fact, of the female gender? They absolutely embraced it. I mean, they really, uh, you know, I think they were really thrilled with that. And um, I think they wanted females in leadership. I think they didn't. They didn't think they always had the right person to do that. So maybe I was the first one to, you know, break that little code thing. Um, but 
I loved it. I love that job. Oh my gosh. Um, I was supported completely. Uh, we designed a program. I wrote. I was just going to say, yeah, you, you in fact wrote the entire, um, three, three ring blinder. Well, it would be a three ring. We can't even say that anymore. Three ring binder. Remember those? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like a loose leaf folder, like the rules, right? Yes, and and deployment, you know, how it all happened, um, strategy, all of it, you know, and um, a little after a year, um, I found myself between a rock and a hard place, and honestly, my integrity was not for sale or rent, and I quit, and I left that position devastated because I didn't want to leave. Well, what happened? happened? Who was the rock? Who was the hard? Or what was the rock? What was the hard place? Who was the hard place? Exactly. Um, you know, I love my job and we had certain protocols and the DOI position had switched from Chuck Reaver, who was amazing and very supportive and loved. And there was, you know, this new girl in town. Her name was Marie Malzahn. And, okay. you know, of course, you know, it was just, um, it was just a whole different move on at the time. It turned into this very um, secretive um, spy, watch your back, you know, you tape record every conversation you have with members. And, mm. you know, I just remember saying, if I have to watch my back, why would I pay you to work for you? <laughs> you know, yeah, it was yeah. ridiculous. And, um, you know, and, just, and, wh- and why was the paranoia? Why? Wh- what were people who did they think was looking in? I, You know, I think. I think she brought it with her. I think it was just, uh, you know, uh, almost the attitude. It's kind of, I see it kind of as a command. You know, you have, the, you always have the rules of the Navy, but the commander's personality is different. And that's pretty much how people like or not like or, you know, how a command will run. And, you know, this was a toxic, toxic team at the top. And, you know, unfortunately, that was Clifford Cliff and Marie Malzahn and, you know, Chuck Maudlin and a few others like that. Um, just, you know, if if it wasn't egos, you know, they were doing things. And um, one of the things uh, that we had was if, you know, I we were finding that us, our star team cases were being compromised. In other words, we felt like Robert Bigelow was still in there somehow. Wow. In other words, why buy the mansion if you only like the bathroom? Mm-hmm. Right. So right. why would and, you- and, and you actually are kind of <clears throat> trained to pick that up. Yes. And I did pick this up. I picked up very quickly. There were a couple of things going on. Now, this was not MUFON policy. These were a couple of people that came up pretty quickly. I mean, when you look at when they joined MUFON and how quickly they advanced into these positions, it was bizarre. It doesn't happen. Mm. And, you know, and I, I, I caught them red handed. I absolutely caught them red handed. And unfortunately, oh, wait, wait. How, how, like what, what, what did you do? What did well, you say? Well, there was a time when uh, we had um, cases were being compromised, we suspected, for Star Team. So I had permission from the uh, ID at the time, international director, to uh, remove the GPS and at least the name of the witnesses only until our Star Team investigators could get there and then they'd be entered right back into CMS. Uh-huh. So we had a case in Washington, the state of Washington, and... You know, we moved, we removed the GPS. In fact, I didn't personally do that. That was actually done for us. Well, I get this call from Chuck Maudlin, who wasn't listed on the star team and only people on the star team could get that information, right? Mm. And he's screaming at me on the phone. You give mm. me those GPS coordinates. And I'm thinking, well, first of all, who are you and why do you want them? Well, 
And wow. you don't live in the state. You're, you're not on the star team. And how do you know about this at, you know, 7 a.m. in the morning? Wow. You know, it was very bizarre. Mm. Did a little mm. fact checking and, you know, realized or suspected strongly there was a reason. Well, I, um, reported this immediately to the DOI, which was Marie Malzahn. And she told me straight out that Robert Bigelow had satellites. He didn't need to send a team. Um, he could just send his satellites. Mm. Wow. Well, we. That's why they only need the GPS coordinates. Wow. That went against everything I've ever done in MUFON. That, that. And also, it's, it's un-American. It's sort of like, we just found this, you know, the secret of the Sphinx pause, but we're going to send that information to Robert Bigelow and the world doesn't get it. Right. Right. And, and, and all this stuff is just being, it's, it's being filtered by this 1% group. It it is this. Okay. At the foundation of this is this, okay? I've heard this a few times from people, that there are those who the, the real data, the real physical evidence, the piece of junk, the piece of debris that will prove the case is extraordinarily valuable. I mean, that... Uh, that's just a fact of life. It is extraordinarily valuable. That's why they're all gone. And for someone of um, who A, is interested, and B, sees the value in knowing this, as crazy as it may sound, who sees the value in getting proof for that kind of person, um, that will... That person will start organizations, that person will buy organizations, that person will infiltrate organizations, that person will send, kind of like Howard Hughes. Right, but s- if you cross that person. Yeah, well, you, you, uh, you don't want to do that. But, I mean, that was part of the reason that Robert Bigelow was interested in MUFON. He wanted the MUFON database. Right. That and was the, con- the issue. The, uh, oh. That was the issue with a lot of the MUFON leadership. And then, <clears throat> then there was a question of that MUFON was uh, going through the Bigelow investment because MUFON had been in trouble financially and it was going through the Bigelow investment and Bigelow was getting very nervous about where that money was going and what he thought he should be getting for that money and that began this whole tension between why did we hook up with Bigelow in the first place yes Bigelow is supporting this organization we really have to be grateful and we have to um convey the information that he's looking for and that began uh, uh, this split in in MUFON this would have been around 2008ish maybe yeah and and truthfully you know how MUFON survived you know um i hated to admit this a few years ago but the truth is it's because the intentions you know of the founders and and really the people behind it the heart and soul um these were a few people that used MUFON for, uh, you know, personal and professional gains. And this was an aerospace industry for the reasons you described, Bill. And um, no doubt MUFON has a gold mine, that, you know, of cases and people continue to report um, internationally and they filter in daily, 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 daily. And this is a treasure trove of information for the world. Um right. So and, and, and what and where are you now? What is your job? Are you still connected with MUFON? 
I am. Um, mm-hmm. It was a few years, and um, I was approached by Jan Harzan, who is now the executive director. I've heard a lot of good things. Um, Jan was uh, came in um, after Clifford Cliff. Uh, Dave McDonald came in, and he was amazing. You know, I think that he needed to come in and kind of clean things up a bit, and he did. He did a little house cleaning, and um, a lot of those people are gone. They're no longer there, and they need to be gone. And then you have Jan Harzan step up, and, you know, I wasn't going to like him. I certainly wasn't going to trust him, you guys. <laughs> and he approached me and asked me to lunch, and it was, you know, it was it was pretty quick in the conversation that I realized, wait a minute, I really did love MUFON for 18 years. <laughs> you know, I followed them. And, you know, when you can fix things or um, work together, especially when – these people in the organization had nothing to do. It's all been cleaned up. They did a great job. Give them some credit, Chase, right? I'm thinking to myself. Mm-hmm. And um, he offered me a position back in, and I took it. And I took some heat for that. You know, I've been called. And, and what, what is your position? I am the uh, special assignment team leader, which is um, I also developed a brand-new investigation model for MUFON um, that's very different from the way they've done it always. And it's a special team. And we work for Steve Hudgens, the director of investigations, um, who is a dream to work for. Uh, the, I, I know Steve pretty well. Yeah. I, show, yeah. I just love the guy, the integrity and, and know-how. Um, and then, of course, Jan Harzan. So working for uh, these two guys in cases, um, very often they hear things um, through email or they'll get cases or people reporting to them on the phone or sending an email. And very complicated cases of whistleblowers, they needed a team of, you know, kind of those specialists. Mm-hmm. So I created kind of a task force. And you guys will get this. It's, it's, it's brilliant, but it's simply minded. And that is, you know, for when a police department has a big case or a serial killer or something big going on, they bring in a task force of experts. And right. that's what I've done on this very small team, and we're known as the special assignment team. And so and how many how members function? are there? Uh, I mean, how many members? Well, well, wait, and let me ask you this. Before we go into that, because that's too cool, um, before we do that, as it stands right now, who in MUFON keeps, who, have, who has the golden keys? Who keeps the, the most precious information? And how many people have access to it nowadays? The golden keys honestly belong to um, Roger Marsh, uh, communications director, and he's the one that puts the information out. I can tell you um, it, a lot of kudos to Jan to bring back somebody who's not afraid to stand up and, and tell the whole world, mm-hmm. um, you know, what she saw against her her own co- you know company, and then invite me back. But he knows what I'm capable of, and then put me in a headquarters position. Mm-hmm. These people have nothing to hide. <laughs> you know, it is honestly um, their goal. I've seen them behind closed doors. Uh, you know, had meetings with them in the back, and very trusted friendships. Uh, like with Steve Hudgens, we've been friends for many, many years. Uh, with me in and out of MUFON, and I can tell you, you know, the integrity is exactly what we want leading MUFON. And what we want from them. And honestly, but, the but, golden but the, keys, I mean, the golden keys would be Roger Marsh because everybody sends him everything. And he's the editor of the journal. Um, he's the one who puts it, everything on the website. Um, uh, well, he's he runs also the, he's on, on the Huffington Post, I think. 
Roger uh, Marsh. No, no, no that's Lee own, Spiegel. You're Lee Spiegel. About. But okay, so Roger Marsh has his own column, doesn't he, down in Florida? Um, I'm not sure he's doing that anymore. I think he's completely devoted to the MUFON oh. Journal, MUFON Radio, and also, um, you know, the website. Uh, but which basically, it's there for the people. It's given over to the voice of the people, quite frankly. Yes, yes. And that's where the keys need to be. The keys mm-hmm. go to the communication director. And um, I, I'm not finding any big secrets. Um, you know, yeah, but now much- the Bigelow people probably didn't clink off into the night and just dis- dis- just disintegrate. Are they still trying to infiltrate? Do you hear that? Are they starting a different group? Uh, what are they up to these days? Well, there's very little to have to sneak into the archives of MUFON. Um, you know, it, honestly, Jan, Roger, you know, the, the people in charge of headquarters right now, I, honestly, the information belongs to the people. Why would we keep it in boxes in the back room? That honest and sincerely is the attitude. Bigelow doesn't need to come in and steal them anymore. They're open to the public. Come on in, guys. You know, search your cases. Here's the database. <laughs> You know, it's it's kind of like the government. I mean, you, they want to tap our phones. Do it, dude. Because what are you going to get? The same thing we're telling the public. Um, I don't think MUFON uh, will take whistleblower cases. We will take uh, very confidential, sensitive cases. But the information and the data must go out to the public. We will do everything we can to protect the identity and where the information comes from. But why would we take something if we're going to keep it in our drawer? It's mm-hmm. kind of a personal policy I've always had. I don't play Secret Squirrel. Mm-hmm. And um, MUFON doesn't either. And they have managed to figure out how to do this effectively, completely protect a witness and still tell the world the data. Right. Right. Now, I'm curious about the, uh, your special task force. Um, how does that work? And what are the kinds of cases that right. you... So I was just um, typing that question yeah, out. Yeah, I mean, what is the yeah. kind of cases that uh, that um, you investigate with that specific task force? Or how often is the task force assembled? It's um, whenever headquarters needs us. Uh, we kind of joke that we're headquarters team. And I hate to say special as in better than. We're special because we're different. And we don't work CMS cases or the cases that would normally go to the state directors or field investigators. Uh, we work the cases that come in through the back door or, you know, at, Bill, I know you know uh, how many times you're pulled aside and people are t- giving you very sensitive um, information and they're telling you very big things and they're asking you to keep their identity uh, quiet. So what do you do with this? Um, Jan doesn't want to handle that information by himself because that's trouble, right? Especially being the head of an organization. So, you know, he realized very quickly if he had a little team that he trusted of, you know, people experienced, um, investigators that, that are very trusted have, um, a good rapport outside of MUFON as well as in. That was very, very important, um, to also have great relationships with people, you know, they're in fighting somewhere else or whatever. Um, and then we just work these cases and we have a little um, working site that's it's connected to the MUFON site, but not available to the public or anyone else. It's just ours. And it's really where we'll get a case and we just throw the data up. Mostly, you know, like a, 
you walk into a police department and the task force will have, you know, a big board with, you know, all these, you know, strings connected to pictures and who's who and where are things going. And, you know, that's pretty much what we do on our collaboration site. And we select, um, you know, probably people with the skill sets we need to perform big, complicated, sensitive type cases. And, and what skills are those? What kinds of skills? Uh, research skills, photo analysis, uh, evidence collection. Uh, definitely, we need people that have, um, you know, a great discernment. They, they just know how to interview well, which is probably the greatest asset you can have as an investigator is, you know, how, how do you get the information you need mm-hmm. when the, you know, when the witness doesn't even know they have it yet, right? And what about lawyers? Lawyers would be awesome. Um, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure we have a lawyer. Um, I know we have a psychiatrist. We have. You could always call Andrew Bassaggio. Right. (laughs) We have, um, you know, it's a very, it's a very strong team. It's a small team. We did not want a big, uh, you know, a big, big group because we also don't compete with the star team. The star team is, um, you know, an ad- advanced level of investigator within MUFON ranks. Okay, so how do you, uh, when you say backdoor, uh, how many um, cases have you worked on since you became a member of the task force? Probably, um, without exaggerating, almost probably 20. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And you started it how long ago? Um, I will be going on our second year in January. So about a year oh. and a half, just and a year and a half. And have you resolved any of these cases? We have. Uh, we just did a, a case on Autech, and and I I swear, Bill, I have to um, admit that every time I do a, a case in Autech, I think of the uh, UFO Hunter show that you did because it's still the best show on television, still the most relevant, truthful UFO show ever on television. Ever. Oh. Ever. Absolutely. Oh, and so um, <laughs> yeah. So so, what did you find out about Autech? Well, we just had a guy come forward talking about uh, he was a sub-hunter, and this is a case that's getting ready to come out um, and be um, – I, I don't know where it's going yet. I just handed it to Roger. Again, the key holder, right? I gave it to Roger Marsh. But, um, you know, just an example. You know, he came out, um, and th- this is an example of the type of cases we get. Right. So, so I get saying? an email from Jan Harzan that said, Hey, Chase, um, I see this comment from this man who has just, you know, an avatar name on a website. Can you find out who he is and if he'll go on the record? <laughs> That's what we got. Mm-hmm. So, you know, of course, we throw it in the SAT collaboration. We all start working. We get the identity of the guy. We contact him. He's like, sure, I'll go on the record. And he talks about um, being a sub hunter and he's in one of the helicopters and he actually sees something uh, with the detection, he, you know, he's one of the technicians um, studying this new technology they're putting in. It was uh, back in the late 80s, Bill. So, you know, that was the height of the Cold War and where intelligence and counterintelligence was just, you know, through the stratosphere important. And um, and he said he, he claims um, seeing or his equipment picking up something that it's almost impossible. And yet, you know, he saw that. So all that data is coming out, but it was an odd. Did it stay? Did it stay in the water, or did it leave the water? It stayed. It was. It was something they they found, but they didn't see it with their own eyes. It was um, a radio frequency over a half mile wide. Well, they have 
Autech has that really very thick cable that runs all the way down into the trench. The, which trench? There is a tr- uh, there is a, a trench. It's probably a submarine channel, but there's a trench that runs from Autech out into the um, the, uh, the Caribbean. Right, and, and that's where Pat did some diving. That's yes. where, yeah, yes. that's uh, that's where we all did uh, uh, some diving, and because um, I was diving too there. And uh, but but that was Pat and uh, wasn't Ted, but it was somebody else. And they had gone down along the side of the cable. Um, Pat was only certified for he couldn't go below 100 feet. And so um, that was how far they went. And we were nervous about that because the insurance company was really upset about that. And the um, but there's a phenomenal cable. And so I've always wondered what the purpose of that cable was? Was it a detection cable? I mean, is is it picking up the uh, 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 the um, sound of um, submarine propellers? Is it picking up the electrical discharge from a submarine hull, or was it, or is that part of the underwater cable that communicates with uh, with our submarine fleet? Well, it's, and that's how we ended the story. Is we we put them on the record, and I didn't conclude it because you know, especially back. Back in the day that we know that, um, you know, science and technology, the R&D that's done at Autech is amazing. There's more technology in the inch of a submarine than a foot of the space shuttle. Right. And, you know, uh, what they do down there is so remarkable. Mm-hmm. And um, it is so important that we're just ne- just now learning things from the 60s. We probably in my lifetime won't discover. My kids will hear what happened in the 80s, but... Well, how yeah, well does, what would how, you how say? Okay, here's, yeah. here's what I'm curious about. Yeah. Okay, this is curious about in the world of conflict of interest. So your husband would have access to intelligence relevant to the submarine command. Yes. Right, the submarine service command. So who would have access to things like where the channels are? So if you were to ask him, in fact, is there a channel under Point Doom? that leads from the point of Santa Monica Bay all the way inland to the China Lake Naval Base. Right, right. What would he say? He would tell me what he could and literally not tell me the other things. Um, you know, anything he couldn't. If it's classified, he he's not going to say anything. And he'll tell me, you know, honey, I can't, you know, don't even ask those questions. Don't go there. And I will stop with him. I may not stop looking in other places, but um, it, it's always something we're very respectful with each other. Uh, if he tells me he can't say, I would never jeopardize his career. Mm-hmm. Never, and, and ever. Is it, a, is, it a, well, is it sort of an, uh, a secret or not a secret that the Navy has the highest – if there's any information that's super, super, super top secret about aliens, supposedly I've always been told the Navy is where all that information is because the Navy – and why that is, but, but what you just said about one inch of a submarine versus uh, a foot of the uh, space shuttle could be the reason. In other words, why? Why would the Navy be more knowledgeable? I think and- they outran the Air Force, truthfully, um, and the submarines and naval – um, vehicles became better prepared and better delivery uh, models 
than necessarily an airplane. You shoot an airplane down, it's kind of harder to find that sub. So, you know, for a lot of the well, delivery- also, yeah, and then there's air, there's aircraft carriers. Once you see an aircraft carrier, oh, the power goes to the navy there. Yeah, but the, <laughs> yeah, but the idea is that a uh, that a boomer can deliver what? How many multiple warhead reentry vehicle missiles can uh, a boomer deliver? And we've and both the Soviets and we have had those kinds of submarines since the 1960s. By the way, yeah, guys, so not to cut you off, but we have a caller who just joined, and that's not me coughing, that's the caller. Caller, you're live on Feature Theater. Thank you for, for calling. Hey, this is Robert Crow from Utah. Robert, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, Hi, Robert. thank you. Hello. Um, I just wanted to call and say hello. I always listen to Chase whenever she's around somewhere. And um, I just wanted to kind of share some of the information. You were talking about the history of MUFON. And... I have uh, come into the possession of the Elaine Douglas files. Oh, Elaine Douglas. And the files include um, kind of the kind of the other side. The you know there was two sides of MUFON, and right. then there was the so Elaine was part of the uh, the reform movement for MUFON, and um, so I've got you know I don't know how many pages hundreds maybe thousands of pages of the documents that I've uh, that I've acquired that I eventually want to do something with well could you tell me if there was more than one deneb report if there was more than what deneb report that was oh, something that Elaine Douglas was really championing that more than one you say deneb it's d e n e b i know it's, i know exactly what you're talking about is there um, more it, than one yes Yes, and I have to say that, um, Robert, I know the files you're talking about because when Elaine passed, um, I actually called uh, Marilyn Carlson, who was one of her best friends, and asked her, you know, hey, Elaine Douglas was tenacious. I wasn't a personal champion of hers. I, I found Neither her very was difficult. I. Yeah, I found her. I just found her difficult. She she would push you around so nasty. badly. Oh yeah, she, she had- was mean. <laughs> <laughs> But she was tenacious researcher, and I exactly. remembered that. And I called Marilyn. I said, Marilyn, who's get, what's happening with her files? So Robert, uh, Marilyn Carlson actually called Elaine's brother, <clears throat> and she and her husband Dick drove up and, and got those files. And I flew out to Oklahoma City and went through um, Elaine Douglas' files with her, separating and you know, getting these as well. Right. And so what other reports are there from the Deneb group? There's um, a lot. <coughs> um, I'm not sure if all those are out yet. Um, um, yeah, truthfully. And she's got a lot from Operation Right to Know, uh, a lot of whistleblowers and people giving her information um, in that group. But one of the most shocking things, and of course, because we all have the same experience with Elaine, were love letters between her and John War- John Ford. Who's currently still being held? Oh, right, right, no exactly. Kidding. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. That is too I'm, amazing. That is isn't, weird. Isn't oh, wait, that amazing? What year? What year were they dated? He was still incarcerated. I mean, during this time, and she was uh-huh. championing trying to find him an attorney, and uh, there were cards, and you know, uh, Marilyn Carlson and I are looking at each other like. Oh my gosh, look at Elaine, just, you know, killing it in a love I'm happy. I'm happy for her and happy for John. Um, we, we've, I've tried to be part of, um, getting John Ford, um, 
you know, freed, uh, we put together a beautiful, um, kind of almost like a, a tribute to John Ford, but the whole, you know, UFO magazine, because yeah. you're now on fate radio, fate, fate is chugging along. And I, so I have very mixed emotions about a lot of this stuff. And I kind of, John Ford was the last project I was working on. And before, uh, you know, before we're done, you have to talk about the Star Child skull and oh, how yes. you acquired that. So I want to just throw yeah, that but out before there. Before you get to that, yeah. what were some of the other things? Well, here's my story. point. Here's my point. Did, did Elaine or you ever figure out who was behind the Denham reports? Um, not quite. I, she was mm. close. I didn't personally. Um, I wasn't any part of her group to reform MUFON. I personally didn't think MUFON needed to be reformed. Um, she hounded me like a stalker. I'm not even lying. You know, the star team manager just left MUFON. Nobody cared about Chase Kletsky. The star team manager just left. Those were headlines. And she wanted to use that um, as, as, as part to go after MUFON. And I didn't see MUFON at fault. It, there were a couple of people, I'm talking less than five, less than five people um, that knew to be, needed to be neutered and gone. <laughs> okay, well, okay well, let me cut to this. Okay. The, uh, the Deneb report was, very, uh, at least the one on Kayami, was very specific. In fact, that's what Elaine and I fought over. Um, and she never really explained who she believed the people were behind the Denner report. But when you read at least the one on Kayami, and I'm anxious to see whatever else the Denner group wrote about, they were so accurate with respect to the um, actual compass locations, the actual GPS locations of where the wreckage was. I where don't... the Army buried this stuff. Exactly. I mean, it, it was I don't... specific. I don't think those files were complete or I wasn't there looking at the time. Uh, we went through probably 90%. Robert, is, is Robert still on? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay. Um, have you found this information? No, but I'm, I'm just into it. My first, my first uh, order of business is to secure the documents and then make an additional copy in the event that uh, one copy gets uh disappears so to speak so marilyn carlson and dick um they they have all the original copies and they're all online they're putting this is uh, this is going to sound like too detailed and arcane but you know what deneb is right well yeah can you tell us yes who the deneb group was well the deneb group well go ahead Uh, go ahead chase well, I was just going to say that with her file system as tenacious as she was, I have even noticed because she's got a lot of files on MUFON. And I'm going to be honest with you, Bill, there's a lot of information that Marilyn and I saw that we decided we could never talk about this because it hurts good people that in good faith were giving her information confidentially. And there's it's it's all over at this point. There's no reason to expose this whole big um, right. Thing. But I mean, what I'm saying is, was there any name attached to any of the Deneb reports? Any? I did not find that. Okay. Yeah. Did you ever figure out why they called themselves Deneb? Uh, no, but there was a bunch of files that we would associate. I guess this was my point. Like she would have all these files on Mufon. 
But then the same person that gave her information on MUFON would give her other information on cases like that. Um, Bill. Are you talking physical files or emails and stuff? No. Well, physical files. There are some physical files, a lot of emails, a lot of old flyers, um, handwritten correspondence. Is that what you're finding too? Well, what I'm interested yeah. in is how many times the name Deneb turns up in those files. That um, we – I'm even sure uh, Dick and Marilyn don't know because, again, she filed in a way that she filed like the – people she had in her head so if this guy gave her information about that and MUFON it went into his file Mm -hmm. so it takes a while and she has a lot Bill so it would take a while to actually find everything and put them in the appropriate piles to then go through to see what you have well you want to do a cross check on a computer to see where the same things turn up because are you guys scanning everything and then doing something with the scans well Dick and Marilyn Carlson and I'm actually a little confused um Robert, like how yeah. you got them because Dick and Marilyn Carlson went there and actually was in her trailer and took them out and took them out in cartons and crates and um, they have them and they're the only ones with the written permission to own them, by the way. And this is legally documented through her family. Okay, so you might right. watch. Yeah. So. Um, well, did she give directions for what she wanted? No. Uh, done with them. And spell Deneb for you, for us. Cause D-E-N-E-B. But the D-E-N-E-B. Thing is, D-E-N-E-B. But the thing is that Deneb is the name of the, of the star. Right. And, right. And it's in a very important constellation, correct? Yes. And that is the constellation that is overhead right now, in the, at least in the well, Northern why Hemisphere. Why did they call themselves that? That's the question. Yeah, that's what he That's the big of... The big smoking gun question. Well, the big smoking gun is that if you, that pulling together. It's an alleged crash, right? Well, no, it's worse. How did this group know the movements of the United States military moving out of Texas into a foreign country? I mean, we literally, we invaded Mexico. After the group that was pulling that craft, that had crashed into that small plane, they were, a group of soldiers were basically moving that craft, and they all died. They were all dead on the side of the road. We knew that because we were surveilling not just the radio traffic, but we were surveilling them from the air. So it's as if that particular desert you know, I've been there, obviously. That right. particular uh, desert, that area was almost part of the United States. You could look at it and you could see where the border is. It was by Stan- Chihuahua, the- wasn't it? Like yeah, north of Chihuahua, yeah. Yeah, and you're just staying there and just looking over into Texas. And the right. fact is that the United States Army just comes right over the border. Right. <laughs> right? Crazy. Bringing drugs and bringing rapists. Oh, no, that's wrong. It collects well, the how material. Many, how many, it collects the material, and the material goes to the Centers for Disease Control in Georgia. Right. Then yep. it buries the, these parts. They dig a mine shaft. I was in the mine shaft. They dig a mine shaft. You see the United States Army petrol cans in the mine shaft. But why is there a report? given to MUFON. That's the, it was never given to MUFON. Where no, did it was given to Elaine. Yes, Why? that's the question. Why? 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 Well, 
I think Elaine had a lot of great connections, and I think they started with, you know, first of all, she's a graduate of MIT, but she was also uh, originally not from Utah, but originally from, you know, D.C., and she did a lot of, um, you know, kind of in the 70s and 80s, that pushing forward of, you know, we have the right to know, and, and they did demonstrations, and, you know, it was a pretty big movement really pushing this um Topic or UFO reality was she involved probably with yeah with Larry Bryant probably because Larry Bryant was a is a columnist for was a columnist for UFO magazine it's no longer around but but Larry right now and I ask this for Larry and I ask this for myself and lots of other people who are listening Larry has a lot of records and things and he is in the process of deciding what to do with them right so do I so do I yeah um, you know it would be fun is if Somehow, I don't want to give you an extra job, but somehow tell people what to save, what to throw away, what to and who to give it all to so that we can own this stuff as a group. Well, I say that, you know, that is my gosh, Nancy, that's brilliant because, um, you know, I've often said fate has been in publication since 1948. Um, It's started by whom? Um, I don't remember. Ray Ray Palmer, right? Ray Palmer. Yes, Palmer. The person who was involved with. Fred Chrisman and Harold Dahl yes. in the Maury Island incident, Absolutely. which is the basis for starting this magazine. Which was also the very first issue was Kenneth Arnold. Exactly. And I think by you know I think a lot of this bill, and we need to remind people we need to start voicing that you know Fate Magazine, UFO Magazine, you know these were real time. We were writing stories real time. These aren't going back and, you know, Betty and Barney Hill in 62. Fate was doing stories on them in 62 and 63 and 65. These are real time. The value of UFO magazine, the value of uh, Fate and, you know, uh, probably a couple others out here, even the archives of, you know, Nightcap and, you know, all those. We do need to better secure our information instead of having them peppered all over. Mm -hmm. Very Brilliant idea. Because when you do that, what happens is connections turn up. For example, for example, the guy who wrote the Kameda report, and this is where I get. And and just before you lose that, just what is it about Elaine Doug? What about John Ford's story? Did Elaine Douglas? um, You know, she obviously felt he was innocent, right? I I don't want to leave that so fast. She did. Absolutely. And um, we didn't find, you know, a a long history of it. We just found a few cards that she kept and a few letters. And we were just so stunned because that's, you know, not the Elaine we knew. And um, I just opened up. But it it, it gives you another clue. I mean, uh, John Ford, I think he's the only person incarcerated for believing in UFOs as his, (laughs) you know. Well, I mean. Cause for insanity. He's technically not incarcerated, but um, he's in a mental institution. But the point is that um, I think she saw the injustice of how this guy was set up. Absolutely. I mean, we realized that he was totally set up by yeah, but is a there really truth crooked to his county-run story? administration. Yeah. It so, is. It's a far-out story. I mean, when you know, it, it's it's strange enough um, when he just talks about the facts. When he starts adding the other reasons he thinks he was targeted, like the Israeli connections, it's like, dude, stop right there because, yeah, wait a right. minute. If you don't want to sound crazy. I mean, it's right. one thing to say, I've been to, I, I've been to uh, that whole area in the park. Um, I've, I, I, I know the area on Brookhaven. And just basically 
knowing that there were people who actually saw the Brookhaven fire equipment outside the Brookhaven labs. And the Brookhaven fire people flat out say they do not roll on anything outside the lab unless they're called. And they right. were specifically called to South Haven Park for, uh, for the specific purpose of cleaning it up. Um, we're going to take a break. Oh, right. We I have just a break. Gotta, to, yes. Yeah, and I'm just realizing I've got to make a, some sort of way for, for me to show Bill that we're going to take a break. <laughs> right. Okay, so we're going to take a very quick break. Uh, there'll be some messages. We'll come back. It is the bottom of the hour, and we'll be back because I uh, the things I want to follow up on more in the Denim Report, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So stick with us, folks. We're back with we have actually two guests now, uh, Mr. Uh, Rob Pro and Chase Klotsky, talking about the missing files from Elaine Douglas. <laughs> Roswell, UFOs, flying saucers, alien abduction, are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the Internet. Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the man of steel and more supermanhomepage.com imagine no longer being tied down to your computer but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application the talk shows you follow now follow you and your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the internet listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day 7 days a week mobile talk radio for Talk Stream Live, now available in the iTunes App Store. And we are back on Future Theater Live on the uh, PSN Radio and Dark Matter Digital Network with our guests. Now we're joined by Lucy and Lucy and Robert Crow, Chase Klesky. This is wonderful. Okay, my question, which I'm going to force through against all odds, uh, describe Inca Bones, Chase. Oh, the Inca Bones. Um, On the break, we were discussing the Star Child skull, and uh, the first time I saw that, I noticed on the back of the skull are these, they're called Wormian sutures, which we've all seen on the internet, but I've never heard them identified. But what I said to Melanie is, oh my gosh, I didn't know the star child had Inca bones. And she said, what? I mean, she had never heard of that either. And clearly, you know, within five minutes, I said, well, those are Inca bones right there on the back of the skull. And what are they doing in Mexico? And I had just returned a year earlier and finishing an investigation on the elongated skulls in Peru and Bolivia. 
um, part of that expedition with Ellie Marzuli, and I took about a hundred forensic samples while we were down there on the skulls. And of course, Watchers Ten is now just launched, putting out some of that information because we did get that DNA back. I'm excited. It's always that little bit of validation the, when you're stuck. What was the DNA report? What haploid group were these coming from? The the haploid group from we don't have the uh, star child skull confirmed because they're t- completely different. There's nothing on That's those. That's right. The star child skull, the last one of the last things Lloyd did was um, he got his DNA report. He got his, uh, I think they had sequenced the genome and they were really having a problem. At first it was like, um, <clears throat> I'm going to use the term alien, but by alien I mean that that particular um, a genetic marker was not in the NIM, uh, was not in the NIH database of right. uh, genomes. So that there was, th- that the mother's, that the mother's nucleic DNA was non-human. That was the first report. The father's DNA was human, but the mitochondrial DNA from the mother was human. And that is nor and that would normally be if there are three different DNAs, one from the father, one from the uh one from the mother who contributed her her ovum, you know, that nucleus, but then the mitochondria, right. which is around the nucleus, if that's different, that's a marker for in vitro fertilization by a third party. Right. And I would love and to see those. And they have that in the year 1000. Exactly. Yeah, because the skull is 900 years old. But right. it, it clearly does display Wormian sutures and Inca bones. And, you know, at least I've contributed something new to the well, star child. Well, when you say skull. Inca bones, are you talking about the sutures in the back of the skull? How the it's, sutures come together? Yes, it is a, it's a distinct um, pattern and it's an extra bone in, in a skull um, that we find associated all over the world, actually, but they're more associated with the elongated skulls. But we find them in Egypt and um, India and South America. Are the sutures symmetrical in all those cases? No, no. The, but the they're su- symmetrical on the star child. Well, the sutures, uh, the, what makes an Inca bone is the sutures almost make a triangle. So there's this extra bone. It's just an extra little bone and they're doing a lot more research on that now since they become popular with the elongated skulls um, most prominently in Peru right now. But, but this is not, but the, I mean, I, I've held the star child skull in my hand, mm-hmm. so I, I can right. talk about it from physical. It's not an elongated skull. No, but they do believe, or some of the accusations is that it was uh, cradle deformation. or the cra- aborted, It was aborted baby is one of the arguments. Yes, and we're finding absolutely no evidence at it all that this was. A, it couldn't no. have been aborted baby for Mm-mm. two reasons. That the way the spinal column connects with the base of the skull is unlike the way a human spinal column connects with the skull. In fact, there's no way unless the bone structure is entirely different, that that spinal column, that the balance of that spinal column can support a skull that big. It's an oversized skull. We are in the process of absolutely um, processing the data that we found on exactly that. And, um, you know, we're about the, the place where the neck is. Um, we've kind of finished most of the examination. Um, I kind of hate to say it, but... You know, the 
<laughs> the eyes being, you know, really shallow. Yeah, I was going to say the shallow eye sockets are unlike any other eye sockets. I know, but Bill, if you look any picture on the internet, if you blow it up, the bottom half of those eye sockets are clearly broken off. So, you know, one of the first questions we asked when we were in Texas with the paleontologist was, you know, he brought up, well, what would it look like if the rest of the orbit bone was still there? I mean, they're clearly broken off. Clearly, right. any picture. Right, but okay. It, it, yeah, that changes. So those are the little things that we're finding. But you have the genetic experiments, right? You have Floyd Pye's genetic report. Uh, we genome. have we have Trace Labs and we have Bold Lab, and um, I have to be very honest, Bill. When it comes to the Star Child skull, we. What do you do when you pick up the work of somebody who is loved, dedicated, loyal, tenacious, his integrity was intact, you know, with the star child skull? <clears throat> and now we're asked to pick up that ball. It's terrifying. Um, so Why? The, well, because, you know, with today's technology, I had a little different take going into it. When I first saw the star child, I, you know, saw things that other people hadn't noticed before. Like you know, what? Like the Inca bones like the and, yeah. and, and bringing out, you know, that the eye sockets were, you know, when you hear they're shallow, it's like, but they're broken. So, of course, well, they're going to measure different. What about the red cords that, want, uh, that run through the bone structure? We have not found that yet. But we I have, saw them. You saw them on the evidence? I saw them on the skull. There are oh. red there are very spindly, narrow cords of red running through the bone structure of the not through the Not through the entire skull. We're not finding it. It's With the, the it's latest the, technology, we're not finding it. Really? Yeah, in the electron microscopic uh, report that we're getting ready to kind of dumb down for me. I don't know how to read, you know, metal or uh, electron microscopic work or SIMS test. So um, what I've done is had one of the most, and I don't use UFO analysts. You know, I believe. No, no, no. I mean, uh, yeah. if I had my hand, I'll, I'll tell you right now what I would do if I had my hands on that skull because I know exactly where Lloyd Pye was going with this because we right. talked a lot about this skull and he was on my show, of course. I would have, I would take it up to, um, Ted is up in Cambridge right now. I would physically take it to Mass General because uh, the people who helped us with the blood tests on uh, Terrell Copeland and um, I forget his name. He'll kill me. Um, um, uh, 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 they would take a look at the skull because what I really want to know is I know the the hatchet job that this one television production company did on that Star Child skull. Um, with this. Okay. One well, person. let me ask real quickly. Lloyd said that the actual material of the skull was. It was lighter than normal, and I rem I held it in my hands too, and it's considerably lighter than the the companion skull he had Correct. there. And second, he said that it was way, 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 way harder to cut through. Yes, is that true? Um, no. Well, we have not found that, and see, this is where the crux is. Um, in fact, I just got off the phone with Melanie earlier, and you know. What we're finding, and the first thing we did was take it. Part of um, our trip was to go to a museum, Mount Blanco. Um, we also went to the Osteology Museum. Where, how, where are you going to find skulls and of comparison? And the first thing, the osteologist, the bone specialist, skeleton specialist, literally holds the star child skull and says it's about five years old. And you know, Melanie giving him it's not all the counters. Adult. 
it's not well we're not finding it's adult what makes it an adult because everything including the thickness of the skull bill is completely comparable and we have over 30 samples sitting next to it showing the exact thickness of the star child is comparable when compared to the companion skull well you know you have a five-year-old being compared to a 22 year old it's apples and oranges it doesn't work Okay, so one other thing, the, uh, the to me the most amazing thing of all, on UFO Hunters, they filled the Star Child skull and yes. a, with, with bird seed, and there was way more capacity. Thirty three percent more capacity. Yeah. So what about Absolutely. that? Absolutely. And by the way, that is again one of the best shows on the Star Child. Um, in fact, when I, it's on our website as you know, if you'd like to see it. We chose that episode of UFO Hunters. Lloyd and uh, I had a big argument about that because when we brought the skull to the Hollywood makeup guy, Lloyd felt it should look more alien. And we said, no, I mean, if, if it's what we think it is, it would look more human, more Mesoamerican, actually, than, right. it, would, uh, uh, than it would as if it were a gray. Because the whole point was it's in a cave with a human being. Right. Holding, not holding its hand, but uh, uh, but their skeletons are, are are kind of interlocked. So if that's the case, she wouldn't be walking around with a little gray. Well, we absolutely have taken this case, um, and we've decided. Um, if, in fact, our website is called um, thefieldreports.com. And if you go and you read exactly how Carrie and I are taking off on this, and um, it, it, our intentions are there, even with Lloyd's work. The best thing we can do is archive it and take it as fresh set of eyes. You can and get a new genome. Absolutely, and that's where we're going with this. Now, of course, in a scientific. Um, but wait, what did? What, yeah, what, but what did? You, what do you all think about the ex, extreme um, brain size, brain capacity? What do you the, think about that? It is part of our checklist is what I call it, or part of that process, because the there are certain things we can explain, and there are definitely things we haven't even started yet. That is one of them, That's one because of them. we do have um, uh, a 3D laser scan that needs to be done, because that's uh, the the only scientific method. Because I'll tell you what my ultimate goal is. I want this a peer-reviewed investigation on UFO well, evidence you do, for the first about, time in history. Yeah, but what about the four lobes? What about the extra lobes on the skull for holding the brain in place? I mean, the brain of that particular skull would have had more lobes than a human brain. I, I understand a lot of these claims. And I have to tell you, Bill, I think you'll understand where we're going if you uh, look at the website. We have archived all of this because for me, if there's not a scientific um, paper examination or test, then we haven't met admissibility, and that right. you know, that's kind of my forte. And a lot of these claims are proclamations. Um, they're things that are said, or you have a mold, but there's no vetted scientist or a test that would back that up. So these are kind of lower on the totem pole, but we are working on that. Um, Melanie actually is meeting with um, a PhD, Dr. Aaron Judkins. Um, he's going to be uh, doing some test exactly on cranial capacity in a couple weeks, in just a couple weeks. <coughs> um, the DNA is something we're working on because there's, of course, big interest. You know, you have all these, um, there's a lot of interest in this and, 
you know, again, we don't sell the story. This, this no, 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 of course yeah. not. No, but the fact is that if you actually find DNA, which right. Lloyd said he did, that um, is not in the National Institutes of Health database, that is vitally important, especially, especially now that we know that not only was there a Neanderthal um, human <laughs> being, exactly right. but that there was a Homo sapien human being, there was Denisovian. a Homo fluensis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah was I was gonna, that's where I was going to go to. Homo fluensis um, human being, that was the hobbit. So, so there were at and least, would the Inca bones indicate something like that? Some kind of strain of humans right. that we don't even know that's about. The, that's the point. In other we words, now it, know there are extra strains of, of of human beings that, even though they might have all descended from a common ancestor, hmm. were nevertheless separate strains. And Homo florensis and 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 um, they did not intermarry. They were pure, and the bones of the Homo florensis on those islands, they're what? Only about 10,000 years old in some cases. Absolutely. No, they dated them older than that. They dated oh, they them, did date older them older? Well, you're, yeah. you're absolutely in my territory now. I think 60,000, I believe. Mm-hmm. Because in Turn Watchers 10, up. with the elongated skulls, um, part of the DNA results fit into the biblical narrative of Nephilim and where LA's going with this. And then you have like the star child skull, wherever this ends up, mm-hmm. we very possibly could be looking at something like that. However, science doesn't care what we believe. So, um, well, they're going to, ha- they're going to have off. to, they're going to have to, there's a- as you guys pile up evidence, right. it stays piled up. Exactly. However, there are some things that, um, you know, if if the science proves that this isn't what we're finding today, you know, again, we're not debating um, anything that has been said before. We're just going to put out our data and let the public decide. But we're putting it out in full. See, the the one thing I can say is when we talk about that new DNA report that Lloyd talks about, I haven't seen it because there is no report. There no, is, it wasn't. No, Lloyd got a right. report. Right. Exactly. And and I know who the geneticist is, and, and he's asked for confidentiality, and of course I honor right. that. Right. But of course. Of course. all the others have, you know, absolutely found um, different things. So, you know, if this guy isn't going to come out, we need to find somebody who's yeah, going do. to do. No yeah. reputable scientist will right. attach his or her name to anything that smacks of extraterrestrial origin, period. When we took that piece of metal that we pulled out of this out of Jeff's um, inner thigh to a lab in California, one of the shockers to them was that there was flesh growing out of that metal. It was an alien implant, supposedly, that right. there was flesh growing out of that implant. And so we immediately thought, you know, thinking conventionally, oh, 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 flesh just adhered internally to the metal implant. It wasn't growing out of it. But the, but the metallurgist who examined it said flat out, no, you don't understand. This is flesh growing. It wasn't just attached to it as if it was trying to isolate it from the rest of the body uh, in some kind of um, biological defense system, it was growing. Ooh, yeah. out of this. It had been integrated into this person's body. That was what I think. Is Stan Friedman? I think is Stan Friedman is a scientist. 
mean, he may not be an analytical scientist. He's not an analytical scientist on this basis. He's not. He's a physicist. Yeah, well, right. um, t- um, I know, but you said no, no, but. No, no, what you need is a geneticist. Yeah. You need absolutely need a neuro you need a neuro no, you need a neurosurgeon. That's exactly who now, you need. Now, uh, two folks have asked to make sure that I said hi to Chase from them. One of the folks is on is is um right now on the on the uh, Skype chat. And he said, this is Larry Seconder, and he's the fellow who has now he has a Bob um, White's medal. Exactly. Yes, Bob, Bob White's medal. And oh, hi, Larry. Wow. He's so yeah, awesome. My, Larry, I want to get my hands on that medal. Oh, oh. my gosh. I love that medal. Larry I'm, says that he, his DNA is 3% Neanderthal. He I, just I, had I, a test. <laughs> okay, well, drop the club, put the medal in the mail, and send it to me. Absolutely. I actually have... Booga, booga, um, booga, booga. Booga. I actually have samples have of now. Bob White's medal right here in my desk. Um, uh, Larry... Yes, because uh, there is another um, UFO, uh, alleged UFO story that included dropped metal um, from Benny Foggin, and uh, we had that tested as well, and using the same metallurgist. In fact, the same metallurgist that did uh, Bob the latest test on the Bob White metal is also the one that did the Star Child skull. Well, He's just well, who, amazing. Who is funding all of this? Um, How do you think for this? And that's a right. nice thing. That they say, Chase, that you're making this available free. That's significant. If you're making this information available free, you said, correct? Uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, and we're not fundraising. Yeah. And we're not fundraising. We have not accepted a penny from the public, nor will we. Um, I, I'd like to say I'm doing it, but truthfully, my husband funds this work. Oh. <laughs> so wait, wait, wait it's, not, it's not MUFON funding it? No, no, MUFON, uh, this is an independent case. Um, uh, you know, MUFON is, I'm, okay. I'm very heavily embedded with MUFON, but I will take other cases. Um, and what, is, what is your husband's first name? Is Pete. Thank Pete you, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Pete. The world thanks you. And so, and, and wait, and the so other just, shout out, wait, the other shout out is, uh, Larry Serenity. Okay. Uh, uh, okay. Hi. Just say. Hey guys. Hey guys. Um, you know, and, and for Larry Sicanter, um, that Bob White medal, I have never seen a piece of physical evidence with as much legitimate, admissible oh, yeah. evidence mm-hmm. that is documented than that Bob White medal. And and yep. he's, wait, did, did the fellow, did, did Bob White see it coming off of something or he just found it? Do you, um, did he see it coming off, I thought? You know, Larry, um, Larry has actually taken over, um, that full investigation. The details of the Bob White, if I remember correctly, he found it. He found um, it on the ground. Yes. Where, like, he went out because he saw, you know, with this right. UFO sighting and he walked out to the area he felt it was in and found this piece. It is bizarre. Those chads on that metal are almost, they're they're ridiculous. You know, try to try to replicate that. You can. And, well, I know the, the internet has tried to debunk it. I've heard things yeah, like you can. And when yeah. and when we and when it was taken to a lab, when they said, "Oh, this fell out of the sky. It's probably from a UFO." They would not even touch this thing. Just ridiculous. Well, we have um. A, Larry C. Kander is an awesome guest, by the way. But we're almost out of time, guys. We have. Okay, we're almost out of time. Wrap it up. Um, yep. uh, I'm going to wrap it up. Um, one thing I'm most fascinated about, which is a non-UFO story involving your husband, 
if he knows any of the people in the Sea Wolf class submarines, might he not know about the um, Sea Wolf class submarines inshore exercises, the brown water exercises they were doing after Operation American Flag in the Persian Gulf? I could tell you he probably cannot answer that question. He probably cannot. <laughs> but honestly, Bill, um, you and Nancy have my home phone number. Uh, call him, ask him. He is open. Uh, He's absolutely. Let him know that I'm going to call him to ask him two questions. One, were the Sea Wolf class submarines capable of firing anti-aircraft missiles um, from underwater? And two, uh, was there a method of communication while they were still submerged? They would not have to raise their flag. Absolutely. I sure will. Okay. Um, but feel free to answer. call them, you know. Okay. And now my Chase, uh, do you have a website you want to uh, give out uh, before yeah, you Chase. go? Yeah, I would love everybody to visit. Um, this is where all our information is going. You can read you know, what we're thinking, what we're saying, what we're doing with not only the Star Child Skull, but the other investigations that we're handling with physical evidence. And that is called thefieldreports.com. And of course, I have a website, chaseklutsky.com. Right, I will hook up awesome. the field. Re- I'll hook the field yeah. reports up before it's I go like, to bed. It's kind of like who cares about that one? I, you know, the no. field reports. It's it's about the information, guys, and I, we just want to get that out there. The right, truth. the field reports. And let me know if you need any help with the Star Child Skull. As I said, I, I'm tantalized by it. And but, next uh, week we have Peter Levin, and next week we might even have. Our grandchild wanted to say hello because oh, we'll be babysitting. Yeah, we'll see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so but I don't know that I'm going to leave her on. You know, she'll have some questions for Peter probably because Peter is a very light kind of hearted guy. We t- we're sure. going to talk about light hearted sure. things. Light, light, not lugubrious at all. Um, we are your co-host, Bill and Nancy Burns, thanking our guest, Chase Thank, Thank you, Chase. My um, pleasure. You guys are so amazing. Robert Crow thanking, thanking we got Lou. A Lou. Here. Oh, we got a Lou. Lou is here. Thanking Lou. I'm thanking glad everybody. to hear, to hear from Angel. you, Lou. Uh, come back next week. Have a wonderful week. Maybe the heat will break. Uh, come back next week. And have a wonderful first week of August. We will see you all next Monday night, August 8th, on Future Theater on the Dark Matter Digital Network and PSN Radio. Have a wonderful week, folks. Good night from Future Theater. Good night.